Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Thank you and welcome. Let me extend my welcome to you. Welcome to Thurfield Chapel. As Ben said, my name's Paul. I serve as part of the leadership team here as pastor at Thurfield Chapel. Great that you're able to join us as we continue our series in Luke's Gospel. Um, before we get into uh, looking at what we're going to look at this morning, our, our passage begins with Jesus going up on a mountain and praying, and that may prompt the question, and if Jesus is God, why is he praying to God? Maybe that's a question that's come to mind. Maybe that's a question that's come to mind at some point in your life. It's good to ask these sorts of questions. Uh, don't be ashamed to ask these questions. It's a good thing to ask these questions. We need to look in the right place. But if Jesus is God, why is he praying to God? We're just going to touch on that very briefly before we look uh, in the passage. Uh, firstly then, uh, Scripture teaches us uh, that God is triune. Now the Trinity is not a word that you will find in the Bible, uh, but it's a word that is used to describe the teachings uh, of the Bible. What, what it teaches us, uh, that God is one, is one in being his three persons. Now, me, I'm, I'm a human being, uh, my personhood, I'm Paul. I'm one in being, I'm one in person. God is different. God is one in being, his three in person. And we read of the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit. If you want any, to talk about this further, we can chat uh, later on. But that's the Trinity. And Jesus, he's the divine Son of, Son of God uh, who's entered into our world who shares in our humanity. And so secondly, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Jesus doesn't pretend to be human, but he fully shares in our humanity. Uh, and you may well recall uh, a few months back when the queen was lying in state, David Beckham uh, was praised because he queued up with everyone else. Now, he didn't use his celebrity status to shortcut the queue. He was a celebrity. And maybe he could have used his celebrity status to shortcut that queue. But he, he joined with the rest of the general public. He queued for hours. And in a similar manner, Jesus doesn't use his divine status to, to take those shortcuts. He fully shares in our humanity. Fully God, but also fully man. And we see in Scripture, Jesus gets hungry, he gets tired, and then he prays. And actually, in, in Luke's account, we see Jesus' continued reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus doesn't take uh, any shortcuts. Rather, Jesus fully shares in our humanity that we might fully share in his life. So in Jesus Christ, we have one who is fully able to, to empathize with our weakness, but also one uh, who is fully qualified to help. That's a good reason uh, for us to pray now as we come and look at this passage. Jesus, we thank you that you are such a savior, that you, you know, you understand, you empathize with our weakness. Lord, and yet you are fully qualified to help. Lord, Father, we thank you for your great plan of salvation. Lord, and we pray uh, through the working of your Holy Spirit now that you would open our eyes. Lord, that we may see more clearly, that we may know more deeply uh, the greatness uh, of what you offer us 
in Christ and the life and blessing that we have in him. Amen. investments. What is a good investment? What's a good investment look like? What's a bad investment look like? Now, if this were the uh, late 70s, early 80s, some people who were here at that point in time, um, how would that be for an investment? Anyone know what that is? A few technically minded people. That's a Betamax video. Betamax video, that would be a bad investment because it was VHS, which was the format uh, that took off. As we move a few decades forward, we get to the 90s. Mini disc. Alice is looking very perplexed. Don't know any of these, do you? Do you know why? Because they were bad investments. It was a bad investment. The mini disc in the 90s, I knew a few people who had a mini disc. It didn't last long. You, you had a mini disc as well. What a bad investment that was, eh, Ben? Yeah. Because it's the digital format that took off. I mean, it's still with us today. So MP3s and, and streaming services. You've got good investments, you've got bad investments. Now, a good investment is something that is going to last. Uh, and if we want to make a good investment, we need to really kind of see where things are heading, see where the future is heading, rather than basing a decision on what is currently trending at that point in time. Ben may have been trendy in the 90s, but it was a bad investment. That's true when it comes to happiness. Think about how do we invest in happiness? What is a good investment? And you want an investment, something that is going to last. How do we invest in happiness? That's a question that we're considering uh, this morning. Jesus isn't against investing in happiness. Maybe that comes as a surprise to you. But Jesus isn't against investing in happiness. Jesus wants us to invest in happiness. But he wants us to make a good investment. To invest in a happiness that is going to last. And we see that in what Jesus says in today's passage. So we, uh, we're continuing the series then in Luke's Gospel, we've been considering how Luke is written to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has planned, of all that God has promised. And from the very beginning, God's purpose has been that the blessing of his presence, it extends over the whole earth. And last week, we ended looking at this passage with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the law, discussing what they might do to Jesus. And we started to see this building opposition to Jesus in Luke's gospel. And this is an opposition that continues uh, and is also leveled against the followers, the disciples of Jesus. And we, we see that as we go through Luke's gospel. We see that as we go into the book of Acts, which is the second volume uh, of Luke. But we also see it throughout church history around the world. We were praying about it earlier. This opposition opposition against Jesus, opposition against the followers of Jesus. And there are many places in the world, there are many times in history where to be a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ means facing opposition. Now in the UK, we generally we've had it pretty good. Uh, And really that's something of an uh, anomaly compared to what most people 
uh, have experienced in different cultures uh, and at different times in history. Now, maybe you have had some experience of facing opposition, and that may well increase in the years to come. As Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to his disciples about living in this environment. It's the context of facing opposition. And when we want to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, in that context of opposition, what does it mean to invest in happiness at that point in time? Happiness that is going to last. And to make a good investment, we need to see kind of what lies ahead. We need to see where the future is going rather than making a decision based on what is trending in the here and now. And in our passage this morning, Jesus speaks with, with this knowledge, with this understanding, with this clarity of sight of seeing where things are happening. He knows what lies ahead, and therefore he knows what a good investment is. So for us to make a good investment, we need someone who sees clearly where things are going. So to begin with, as we look at this passage, we're going to consider now why Jesus is someone who is worth listening to. When it comes to investing in happiness, why Jesus is someone worth listening to. Uh, do you have uh, your Bibles open? Now, whether that's you've got a Bible, whether you've got one of our Luke journals, whether you've got it on your phone, uh, it will help you as we follow through. Uh, so we're in Luke chapter 6. Have a look at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So this is how the passage begins. Jesus has been on a mountainside, spent the night in prayer. Before Jesus chooses the 12 apostles, before he delivers this sermon, what is commonly described as the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus has spent his night, uh, this night praying on this mountain. And in Scripture, mountains are sometimes portrayed, they have the symbolism of being a place of, of revelation, a place of communion with God. I mean, when you think about it symbolically, mountains are this place where heaven and earth meet. If you think of the heavens in terms of the sky, and but, you know, that isn't the case. You know, heaven isn't just up there. You're not going to get to it in a rocket. But symbolically, when we think about it, the heavens, the sky, and the earth, the land, and a mountain is where those two places meet. But a mountain is also a place where you know, you're able to see clearly. You get a better view of what lies ahead. Now, at Thurfield, we're not on the top of a mountain. We are at a bit of a hill. Uh, 168.6 meters elevation, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. But as you go down Thurfield Road, if you head that way, what's that? It's going to be your right, my left, as you go out. Uh, if you go down Thurfield Road on a clear day, and I don't know what it was like this morning because I live in the Mount, so I just take this little journey through. Was it clear? Was it clear on the way up? Yeah, as, as you go down, you'll have a wonderful clear view of the surrounding area of the Cambridgeshire countryside. It's beautiful, isn't it, to see. And you can see things clearly. That point of elevation. Now, if you're in a valley, you can't see what's ahead. But that point of elevation, whether it's a hill, whether it's a mountain, you get a better view of what lies ahead. 
Now, why is it that Luke draws our attention that Jesus goes to a mountainside to pray? Now, it cost a lot of money to create these Gospels. When they were writing them in the first century on parchment, your word count is limited. It's not like at school or university where your word count is limited because they'll mark you down. Your word count is limited because it costs so much money. So you are going to invest uh, in your words. You're not just going to put empty details in. Why is our attention drawn to the fact that Jesus goes up to a mountainside to pray? Why include this detail at this point? And I think part of it is probably that Luke wants to draw our attention to these images that we have uh, of mountains, something of their symbolism, and use that to, to draw out, to, to underpin uh, the point that he's seeking to highlight. And that's the fact that Jesus sees clearly. He's been given this revelation. He knows what lies ahead. And Jesus' words and his actions in what we read and what follows is rightly informed. And actually, I think throughout Luke and and Acts, just thinking from the top of my head, uh, there are many places where there seems to be kind of a, a new move, a new thing that's happening in that ministry. Luke draws our attention to how this is God's leading and God's directing. This isn't just some arbitrary decision that's made. This is a clear and a purposeful thing that is informed uh, by this heavenly perspective on situations. So one of the things it shows us is that the selection of disciples, the selection of Judas Iscariot, this isn't some mistake on Jesus' behalf. It's not that Jesus is crucified because you know, he made the wrong friends at some point in time and one of them was going to betray him. Jesus' selection of the 12 apostles, it wasn't some arbitrary decision. This is part of a, a divine plan and purpose that has been divinely informed. This is from a divine perspective. Remember that theme in Luke's gospel, this fulfillment of God's plans and God's purposes. So that's one thing that it shows us, but it also shows us that this sermon on the plain here, these words of Jesus... They're not the best of human philosophy and ethics. Now, when we speak, when any of us speak, we speak from our perspective. Some people speak with being better informed than others, but we're limited by our perspective. We can speak of something that's gone before us, and you have good historians and you have less accurate historians. And we can speak of what lies ahead of us like immediately, what we can see. But really, we're creatures of the valley. We have a limited perspective. We have a limited understanding. That's why Ben bought a mini-disc in the 90s. We're limited in what we can see. But that's not how Jesus speaks. It's not... It's not what we're to see here. We're shown that Jesus speaks in a different manner. Jesus speaks as one who walks on the mountains, who has this clear view, and then has come down to show us the way. So in verse 17, Jesus comes down. He comes down with the 12 apostles, and then he stands on a level place, and we're told a large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem, and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon. So there's also this human recognition that Jesus is someone who's worth listening to. 
Uh, so we've got a diagram here of, uh, it would have been somewhere in that area uh, where Jesus was speaking. You've got people coming from Tyre and Sidon up here, Jerusalem down here. And from Jerusalem to that region, you're talking about a four-day journey. People are traveling for four days to listen to a sermon. Uh, some people here, maybe 40 minutes you've traveled. Four days. You've got to think this is worth it. People are traveling four days. People think Jesus is worth listening to. And we're told in verse 18, why do they come? Well, they come to hear him and to be healed. They come to hear and to be healed. Then we read in verse 19, all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And Jesus is not just one who speaks about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is one who ushers in, who brings the kingdom of God into people's lives, as we see with this, this healing and this deliverance ministry. Now, a couple of weeks back, uh, we were at a friend's wedding. And at weddings, there's always uncertainty about when it's going to begin, isn't there? You're sitting there. Well, you know it's going to begin when the bride arrives, but when is the bride going to arrive? And we're sitting there, and we're waiting, and Seth and all are saying, when's it going to start? It's meant to start at half one. It's not started yet. And you can start to take your best guesses, and people are trying to, to figure it out. Oh, the groom's gone to the front now, so it won't be long now, and they're closing these doors. And so maybe, maybe in a few minutes. But really, they're just guesses that we're taking. Now, I happen to be uh, sitting next to uh, the wife of the chauffeur. We got chatting. I discovered that her husband was uh, driving uh, the bride uh, and the bridesmaids to the venue. And so when he came through, when he sat down next to his wife and he said, the bride's here, I knew that this was someone who was worth listening to. Like he knew because he brought the bride to the church. He knew about the bride, the bride being there, because he was the one who brought her there. In a similar manner, Jesus knows about the kingdom because he is the one who brings the kingdom, who brings the kingdom to us. And that is seen as Jesus heals those who are gathered. Now think back to what we're reading in Luke 4, about Jesus bringing the good news of the kingdom and bringing this healing and this restoration. So when Jesus speaks... When Jesus speaks about the kingdom, he's not speaking about someone who's giving their best guess. When Jesus speaks as someone who knows, who understands, like the chauffeur who knew that the bride was here. He, he knew what the rest of us were just guessing about. Jesus knows. Jesus speaks with this knowledge and with this understanding. And we see in these verses that Jesus is someone who is worth listening to. If we want to make a good investment, we need to, to see beyond the immediate. We need to see where things are heading rather than basing a decision you know, on what is currently trending in the here and now. We need someone who knows, who sees where things are going. And so the question for us, the question for you is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to, and are they a good guide? As we seek to invest in happiness in life, 
What voices are you listening to? What advice are you taking on board? Because we all listen to something. We all listen to someone. Now, you may choose philosophers. You may choose authors. It may be a TikTok celebrity that you're listening to. This morning, I did a quick type in Google. I learned life lessons from, number one suggestion, my dog. Or my cat. I think these are books that you can buy. Uh, there's I Learned Life Lessons from Dawson's Creek. That's uh, another 90s throwback, uh, an American teen drama, uh, probably trending on some sort of streaming platform. Uh, there are people who, you know, their life lessons, their philosophy comes from Harry Potter. You know, here are life lessons I learned. This is what they did, and this is how life worked out. Now, we all listen to something. Listening to our dog or our cat. Maybe it's philosophers. Maybe it's authors. Maybe we listen to our peers, you know, those around us. Maybe it's the more subtle voices of our culture or even our, our own desires. But we all listen to something. And what every one of us needs to ask is, are they good voices to listen to? Do they actually know what lies ahead? Do they see clearly? All these voices that are telling us what a good investment is, do they really know? Here in this passage, as we glimpse something of Jesus' earthly ministry, our attention is to be drawn to this fact that Jesus knows. Jesus sees clearly. He knows what he's talking about. Jesus is worth listening to. And actually, Quite a lot of people would agree with that as well. Like by the, certainly by the time we get to verse 27 in this sermon, which we're going to be looking at and next week and the weeks that follow. People love Jesus' teaching on love and don't be a hypocrite and, and take the plank out of your eye before you try and take the speck out of your brother's. People love those teachings. They say, well, Jesus is someone worth listening to. In that regard... So why wouldn't we listen to Jesus here at this point now? The only reason can be is that we assume we know better. And do we really? As for me, I'm going to listen to Jesus. And you may well say, well, you're a blind fool. Yeah, that's why I need to listen to Jesus. To someone who knows, who sees clearly. How do we invest in happiness? We need to be informed by what lies ahead. To know what is a good investment. And Jesus speaks as one who sees clearly, who knows what lies ahead. And so in these verses that follow, Jesus speaks about where true happiness is to be found. And Jesus says true happiness is not to be found by us looking to ourselves, but by looking to God and to his grace in Jesus. And so as we come to the next verses in verses 20 and following this, this call to look to God, to look to his grace in Christ. We read verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said, Jesus said. Jesus said, looking at his disciples. These words here are primarily addressed to Jesus' disciples. 
Now, there's a huge crowd that has gathered. There are many other people who are listening in. But primarily, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. That's the context. And it's important that we have that context in mind because otherwise we might misapply some of these blessings uh, and these woes. Because Jesus says, now blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. We could misread this if we take it out of the context and go, oh, the the kingdom, it is inherited uh, by those who are poor. Automatically, you're given it if you're poor. Eternal life is given to those who are poor. Therefore, for us as Westerners, and let's face it, we are rich Westerners in comparison to the rest of the world, to, to most of human history, then for us to inherit eternal life, for us to inherit the kingdom, we need to sell everything, make ourselves poor, uh, and then we get given it because the kingdom is given to the poor. And in effect, what we end up doing is we say, well, we'll buy eternal life with our money. But that is in contradiction to the message of the gospel, which says we can't earn salvation. It is secured for us uh, by Christ through his death for our sins, uh, by his resurrection, and by his ascension. It's not something that we earn by our money, by our good works. It is a gift that is given to us, that is received by faith as we trust in Jesus. And so, that's not what is, is being said here. It's not that Jesus is saying by virtue of being poor, you automatically inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're rich, well, sorry, you've got no chance. Because actually in Luke's gospel, we will read of fairly wealthy disciples. In Luke 8, uh, there's a number of women who support Jesus and the 12 apostles in their ministry out of their own means. I mean, here at Thurfield Chapel, uh, you support me. You, you financially provide for me that I may continue ministry here. And I, I appreciate that very much. In Luke 8, you've got a handful of women who are supporting 13 men doing that ministry. And they've got to have some substantial amount of finances to be able to do that. And you read of Joseph of Arimathea in whose tomb Jesus is laid, a disciple of Jesus. Matthew, in his gospel, describes him as a rich man. So it's not simply this matter of if you're poor, then you inherit. If you're rich, then sorry. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's not saying that we inherit the kingdom of God based on our standing in life. It's about our standing with Christ, or rather our standing in Christ. As we look to him, as we trust him, it's a gift that is given to us that we receive through faith in Christ. Jesus is speaking primarily to his disciples. This isn't about how you inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, don't throw away your inheritance when times are hard. Context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the wider context of this growing opposition. I just notice in verse 23 and verse 26, Jesus speaks about their ancestors. Now, their ancestors. And how the disciples, two ways really that they can respond to this outside group. Their, that group, their ancestors, this outside group. Some form of opposition. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples about two approaches, two ways that you can seek to invest in happiness when times are hard, when you face opposition. And there's a way of blessing and there's a way of woe. There's a good investment, a good investment that is informed by what lies ahead. And then there's a bad investment, Jesus says, which is based on what is currently trending. Blessing and woe. And blessing, to be blessed is basically to say you are on the road to happiness. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but you are on this road and it is going to lead to happiness. Where a woe is to mournfully declare that the road you are on leads to misery. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But this road that you are on, it is one that leads to misery. And so in verse 20, Jesus looking at his disciples. He said, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And we considered uh, a few weeks back that this term, poor, uh, at this point in time, it encapsulates more than just a financial poverty. To be poor yeah, did mean a, a lack of, of finance, a lack of, of physical resources, but it also meant that you lacked in terms of uh, your social status, you lacked in terms of your social connections, you had no way and no means to better yourself, and to better your lot in life. This isn't poverty like in the idea of the, I suppose, the American dream that you can start off the bottom of the ladder and through hard work and graft, you can work your way up even when you start off with, with just a few pounds in your pocket. It's just saying there's no way that you can get up because the society at the time won't let you if you don't have the finances, if you don't have the connections, if you don't have the status. You're stuck. To be poor meant you cannot better your lots in life. Whereas in contrast, to be rich means that you can. Maybe through your finances, maybe through your social connections or political connections or the alliances you've made. And so Jesus says, and again, I think addressed to his disciples, verse 24, Woe to you who are rich. Whoa, this is a road of misery to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Jesus says to, to you who are self-secure, to you who are building your own kingdom of comfort. That is all you will have, and it won't last. This is a road to misery. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this context of this growing opposition. Remember how last week's passage ended, verse 11. The Pharisees, the teachers of the Lord, they were furious. They began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. 
do to Jesus. Uh, they were furious. That word in the original Greek could be translated as they were filled with this mindless rage. They were beside themselves with anger. This all-consuming hatred that they have toward Jesus because he doesn't conform to their expectations and to their ways and to their plans for life. And that opposition directed at Jesus and the disciples are going to experience it too. Following Jesus involves hardship. Jesus tells us that. He promises we we will face persecutions in this life. We will face opposition. If you walk against the tide, you are going to get slapped in the face by those waves. And it will sting and it will hurt. And in those moments, when we are facing opposition, how do we invest in happiness? Where is happiness to be found? And the temptation has always been to seize and to grasp and to take for ourselves, to build our own kingdom, our own kingdom of comfort. You know, from the very beginning, back in the garden, that was a temptation. Don't wait for God to provide because he's not going to come through. You take, you seize, you grasp, you build your own kingdom now. And if that was a temptation in paradise, now how much more is that going to be a temptation when we face hardship? But to try to seek happiness by, by building our own kingdom, our own kingdom of comfort. And that may be through you know, riches, through our, our social status, through our social connections. It's a way of misery, Jesus says. That is not where lasting happiness is to be found. That is not a good investment. And since its very beginning... The church has faced that temptation to compromise. Right here at the beginning, Jesus is saying to his disciples throughout church history, the church has faced that temptation to compromise when things are tough. Just throw in our lot with the dominant powers, with the dominant voices of the day. This makes life that little bit easier. To compromise, compromise in justice, compromise in morality, and many times done in the name of God. Sometimes done in the name of love and tolerance, but let's, let's be honest, it's ultimately a self-love and a self-preservation. Now let the reader understand. And there are examples that, that I could give, but I don't want us to distract from the ways in which we are, are challenged by in what ways might we be tempted to compromise? Might I be tempted to compromise? Might you be tempted to compromise? When times are tough, when they're difficult. We just try and build our own kingdom. When following Jesus is hard, in what ways are we tempted to, you know, we're just going to go off slightly and we're just going to build our own kingdom of comfort here. We're going to secure the kingdom for ourselves. Jesus says in verse 24, Woe to you who are rich. That way of self-security, that road, it is a road that leads to misery. It is not a good investment. 
And Jesus doesn't pronounce this woe because he's opposed to our happiness. It is because Jesus is passionately committed to our happiness. That he wants us to invest in something that will last. And so looking to his disciples, verse 20, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now blessed are the poor. Blessed are the have-nots. Blessed are the helpless. Blessed are those who are not looking to their own strength. Blessed are those who are not seeking to secure for themselves happiness by their own means. Blessed are those who are looking to God, who are trusting in Christ. Because lasting happiness, true lasting happiness, is not based on us securing for ourselves. It's on what God has secured for us in Christ. And so Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of God. This is what you have in Christ. Don't throw away this treasure. Now this is the wow that we were thinking about last week. What is the wow? This is what God has done for us. What he's given to us. What he he gifts us in Christ. This kingdom. It is not something that is secured by ourselves. By our own strength. By our own cunning. By our own craftiness. By our deceit. By compromise. By seeking to take to ourselves. By fighting. This is a gift that God has given us. Every other kingdom is fragile. Every other kingdom is fragile. Whether you're talking about kingdoms of countries or the kingdoms that we build for ourselves, countries get invaded. Now, companies, they get taken over. And if you want to secure something in your life, then you either you need to lead an assault or you need to build some sort of alliance. Because kingdoms are fragile. That's not the case with God's kingdom. And you don't need to seek to secure God's kingdom. It has been secured in Christ. Jesus is saying, look what you have. What you have that has been secured. Yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is secure in Christ because he is the one who has triumphed. Who's risen from the dead. Who's been exalted far above all power and all authority. He's been given the name above every name, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus' kingdom is one that will never end, that is not going to pass away. Look at what you have, Jesus says. When you are poor, yours is the kingdom. Because the kingdom, it is not secured by your strength. The kingdom is secured by Christ's sacrifice. And it is given as a gift. Not secured by your strength, but by Christ's sacrifice. Following Jesus is hard. And in those hard times, as we desire happiness, we can be tempted to make uh, those wrong investments. But Jesus is one who sees, who knows what lies ahead. He's the one who's made the way to secure what lies ahead. And he tells us, now happiness is not found by looking to yourself. Don't look at ourselves. We look to, to God. We look to what God has done for us in Christ. It's not based on what we can grasp. 
but what is graciously given to us in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, looking at his disciples, said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come, and it is coming, and it will never pass away. And therefore, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. No one who puts their hope in Christ will ever be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, that you you do desire for us to be happy, to share in your happiness. Lord, and even when we rejected that, even when we spurned that, even when we decided to go our own way, Lord, that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us in that place. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, the one who came, the the sacrifice for our sins, the one who secures the kingdom that through him that we can receive. Lord, this gift that we are welcomed in, that we are brought into your happiness and joy. And we pray that you would would give us eyes to see more clearly uh, the wonder, the wow of what you have done for us in Christ. That we may not throw away our hope and our confidence in these times where life is difficult, where we face opposition, where times are hard. Lord, give us that vision, give us that sight. Give us that great view of Christ to see his glory, Lord, to see your heart, Lord, as one who desires that we, we share in that happiness that will last, Lord, and so that we may, we may stay on that path, not turning aside to the right or to the left, uh, but with joy, Lord, even as, we, even as we face those challenges, Lord, to see those as those signposts of, of what lies ahead. Lord, for that joy that is set before us to to walk and to follow Christ, Lord, in his strength, enabled by, by his grace, Lord, and his love for us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.